Early in October, Pope Francis released a papal letter. It was addressed to all people of goodwill on the climate crisis. This was actually the Pope's second letter about climate change. The first was in 2015, but this time, his letter was marked with an unmistakable urgency. The document was essentially a plea to Catholics everywhere, in fact, to people of all religions, to take climate change seriously and to do something about it. It's not just the global leader of the Catholic Church calling climate action a religious and moral obligation. Religious leaders of all denominations and faiths are speaking to their congregations about what they can do to make a difference. I'm Yash Pavlik-Slank, and this is Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. In this season of our show, we've been talking about how to green your job. But in this episode, we're talking about more than just careers. We're taking inspiration from spiritual leaders who have gone on their own climate career journeys and who are now using their platforms to spread the climate change gospel. Faith-based environmental activist Corey Majeed says Islam is the foundation for her climate work. She's particularly driven by the Muslim concept of Ummah. Where all Muslims are part of one huge global community. She points to the devastating effects climate change is having in Pakistan. Floods and droughts. It's happening to Muslims. And so when one part of our community hurts, we should try to remedy that situation how best we can. And one of the ways is fighting climate change. Corey is the founder of Green Ramadan, a campaign to inspire Muslims to reduce waste during their holy month of prayer, fasting, and reflection. She created that organization after witnessing high volumes of waste at her mosque during Ramadan. To her, this felt counterintuitive. The Quran itself contains text to the contrary. Allah does not love the wasters. And it's not just the Quran. Religious texts of all kinds are filled with language about preserving the environment. You know, there's the biblical narrative of the responsibility uh, to till and to tend, to be stewards. That's Moshe Kornfeld, founder and director of Colorado Jewish Climate Action. He's quoting a passage from Genesis in the Old Testament. To him, it speaks to responsibility rather than dominion over this planet. Judaism is a very ancient religion, and so there, there's a lot of texts and uh, history that can be reimagined as, as environmental texts. And then there's this from the story of Noah. You know, when God said, I create a covenant with you, that you will care for my creation and I will not destroy it. A covenant is more than a vow, it's a promise. Dan Misla founded the Catholic Climate Covenant in 2006. He says he launched the organization to help Catholics understand climate change and take action from a position of faith. We've been using the line that, uh, you know, before Earth Day, there was Genesis. <laughs> you know, So being grateful for God's gift of creation and being aware of our impact has always been part of, of our faith. There are also religions that don't need a reinterpretation to find a climate message. They're based on ties to the environment. Author and professor Atul K. Shah writes often about his religion, Jainism. 
Similar to other Dharmic or Eastern religions such as Hinduism, Buddhism, and Sikhism, Jainism teaches that humans, plants, animals, all of the natural world are tied together. They're interdependent. It was understood thousands of years ago that animals are living beings and so are plants and trees are living beings. And for us to live, we need not compromise their future. Given our present challenge and crisis that we are having, it would be foolish to ignore the huge wisdom that is packed inside these dharmic traditions. Now, of course, religion and spirituality more broadly is very personal. Everyone is going to come to faith practices and interpret texts in different ways. So that's why I wanted to dig a bit deeper with one faith leader to understand how he came to see ecology as central to his theology. If we continue to live how we are living, as if we have infinite resources, and as if we can use this world up and find another one to live on, we are in for a rude awakening. That's Dr. Ambrose Carroll, founder and CEO of Green the Church, an organization helping Black churches become hubs for environmentalism and sustainability. Religion has long played a key role in Ambrose's life. His father was a traveling Baptist preacher, sharing the gospel with different ministries across the country. His grandfather and uncle were also clergy. He grew up in the church. Really steeped in the Black Baptist tradition, civil rights movement, and things of that nature. But initially, Ambrose didn't see himself going down that same path. I wanted to study law. Yeah, that was kind of my thing. That changed after Ambrose's father died at the age of 44. And when he passed, a part of me really wanted to finish the work. And I was a sophomore in college and felt an urge, a divine unction to preach the gospel. That divine unction came to him in 1989. Ambrose often describes the moment as part spiritual calling and part finishing the family business. With this new conviction, Ambrose enrolled in the Morehouse School of Religion in Atlanta, Georgia, a historically Black college and his dad's alma mater. As I was in class at this kind of all-Black institution, there was a little white woman who sat in the front of the class, and it got on our nerves, right? We're all talking about at that time, Malcolm X, we're fighting the power. Then, one day, Ambrose's white classmate goes to the front of the class, and she gives a sermon. And she talked about the planet. And she challenged us that day that it should be important to us uh, even to ensure that the streets are not littered, that we should take responsibility. And I think that that, that was a spark for me um, that really said that if I am a child of God and God has given us responsibility to steward this planet, uh, that this planet itself is important. I've been in sermons where I have felt like the sermon was for me that day. Were there other students sitting in that class who were also changed by this sermon? Or did you feel uniquely touched by that message? That word was for me. I have no idea the effect it had on everyone else. But I know that the word that day was for me. Ambrose was moved by that idea that, as a Christian, he should be a steward of the earth. 
and he became hypersensitive to things like picking up litter and trying to conserve water. But even as his appreciation for the natural world grew, Ambrose didn't see himself or his church as part of the larger environmental movement, at least not at first. For us as, you know, African-American people, sometimes when we are not careful, religion pulls us away from the planet and really, you know, have a combative relationship with the planet. Um, that the planet and everything on it is ruled by things that are wicked and our souls and our spirits will one day be free from it, uh, becomes a part of the theological fabric. The Black church has, at times, provided an escape from the realities of living in a racist society. Ambrose describes it as growing up in a world of they. They took out all of the banks from the community. They closed the grocery store. They lynched us out of Arkansas and Mississippi. They put the freeway through our community. I come from a people who received uh, the reality of a Jesus Christ through a slave Bible that told them, slave, obey your master. You see? So until we back that up and say, oh, uh, yeah, it's in the Bible, but that's mm-mm, that, that's not what the God I serve believes. And those are difficult pieces, have to be done in loving, patient ways. Um, but until we address that, uh, we won't be able to steward the planet because some of our theology pits us against the planet. Ambrose knew there was a lot of work to be done, but the seed that had been planted in him during divinity school had taken root, and a climate-conscious message would more subtly make its way into his burgeoning ministry. I was ordained in 1994 at the Beth Eden Baptist Church in West Oakland, California, and then a year later I became the youth pastor of the Third Baptist Church in San Francisco. So my, my ministry was geared towards young people. And I don't think I would have articulated my ministry in that way because the language of the black church itself is not environmentalism. Um, there are things that, that we did with the seniors and having our seniors tell us how they, you know, would use old clothing and things of that nature to recreate and to make these beautiful quilts. We didn't call that sustainability, but that's what it was. Uh, We talked about food and the importance of eating healthy food and of growing food. But again, it was not in a climate-concerned language. It would be more than a decade before Pastor Carroll would make more direct ties with the environmental movement. We'll hear how that happened after the break. Hey listeners, greening your career is exciting, but it can also feel overwhelming. Where do you start? If I've learned anything from my degrees guests, it's this. Just take a single step. Do one thing. Need ideas for your one thing? 
every episode of Degrees offers brilliant ways to take action on your green career, no matter the field, from renewable energy to religion, agriculture to activism. Listen to all of our previous episodes on your favorite podcast app today. Welcome back to Degrees, real talk about planet-saving careers from Environmental Defense Fund. I'm Yesh Pavlik-Slink. When we left Pastor Ambrose Carroll's story, he had recently become the youth pastor at the Third Baptist Church in San Francisco. The church is located near San Francisco's famous Haight-Ashbury, a hub for the 1960s counterculture movement. Pastor Carroll remembers an Earth Day celebration across the street from the church, and he says that there were dozens of young people gathered outside the building. They called him over. And they said, come on up. (laughs) And I entered this whole other world having no idea (laughs) what Earth Day was. And again, it was a celebration at a party of which the young preacher partook, uh, and it was perhaps multicultural, but there was no conversation uh, between what was happening on Earth Day and what was happening at that African-American church. These two neighboring institutions had not had any kind of real connection, at least not one that Pastor Carroll had witnessed up to that point. So you talk about people who have grown up and who existed right next to each other geographically, but still who lived in totally different worlds, totally different dimensions. These divisions are hard to breach. And while the Earth Day party in Haight-Ashbury brought Pastor Carroll one step closer to making climate action a central part of his personal theology, it wasn't until 2009 that he saw a clear path toward making it part of his ministry. That was the year he came across a book by news and political commentator Van Jones. It's called The Green Collar Economy, and it's full of ideas about how to solve both socioeconomic inequities as well as climate problems. As I read that book, I felt that Van Jones had articulated for our generation that big tent issue. Facing climate change head-on and understanding how the crisis disproportionately affects lower-income populations, that was the Big Ten issue. This was the next social movement to fight for, and Pastor Carroll wanted to be part of it. Soon after reading that book, Pastor Carroll became a fellow in Van Jones's Green for All program. He says as a fellow, he met people of different races, nationalities, backgrounds, and industries— like teachers who were creating curriculum on these ideas, and people in the business sector thinking about green jobs and workforce development. And I said, this is a broad frontier. And soon after, I noticed that there were a lot of people in the fellowship, but not a lot of people who were practicing faith as I practice faith. Pastor Carroll eventually found his community in the form of an organization called Interfaith Power and Light, At that time, he was living and working in Colorado. Sally Bingham came to town and she was on fire. Reverend Sally Bingham is the founder and president of Interfaith Power and Light. And I believe that the scientists are today's prophets. And I think we need to listen to them and we need to pay attention to what they're saying. 
This is Reverend Bingham speaking at the Spirit of Christ Catholic Church in Colorado in 2009. I should note that she's also on EDF's board. C-SPAN captured the audio you're hearing in which she speaks about how scientists want the faith community's help. help. The scientists can create, discover, and give us the science, but we have to be the messengers. Man, it was fantastic. I found my tribe, people from every faith talking about the environment. He was overjoyed to see people of faith doing this work. He also couldn't help but notice how few people of color he saw at that 2009 conference. He reflected on all the experiences he'd had where his environmentalist desires didn't connect with the people in his community. And this time, he decided to do something about it. And so we set out to wake up the sleeping giant that is the Black church on these issues of environmentalism and sustainability. The following year, Pastor Carroll launched his own faith-led climate effort. Green the Church is a nonprofit that helps Black congregations make their physical buildings more eco-friendly. It also takes a theological approach to climate action, encouraging Black churchgoers to engage in environmental justice issues and initiatives. And when we started Green the Church, we started with three pillars. We wanted to amplify what I call green liberation theology. We wanted to promote sustainable practices, be that food sovereignty or building efficiency or wellness, getting out into nature. Um, And the last one is building power for political and economic change. And so we wanted to ensure that the Black church had a place to have its own language, its own table about how we care for the planet, how we take responsibility, and how we relearn who we have always been. Now, of course, this is a really tall order. We're talking about trying to dismantle two of the biggest crises of our time, racism and climate change. But Pastor Carroll has a lesson to teach about that, too. So, listen, I come from a family of preachers, and I heard my uncle and my cousin and my brothers and my dad all preach the same sermon. They call it, do what you can. (laughs) They talk about, our grandmother who had 10 children in a time where they were sharecropping on family-owned land and talked about not having much in the cupboard, but she gets some flour, some water, and they all talk about the beauty of the biscuits that she made and how those biscuits and that molasses taste so good. And uh, the message was do what you can and then believe in the grace of the divine for the rest. Since its founding, Green the Church has grown to a network of more than 2,000 congregations nationwide. And the pastor says a big part of his work is now shifting the narrative. He not only wants Black communities to see themselves as stewards of the planet, but he wants them to see themselves as stewards who can actually build power and create real, lasting change. For marginalized people, I think that is one of the most powerful notions And oftentimes, I think it's a place that we're not necessarily as comfortable with as we should be. So how is he and Green the Church doing that right now? They're doing things like fighting against petrochemicals in the state of Louisiana. They're also doing a lot of work around energy efficiency when it comes to churches' physical buildings. Pastor Carroll thinks that they can have a lot of impact with that work. We don't own a lot of skyscrapers in this country but we own an awful lot of church buildings. 
and all of them have to be retrofitted for clean air and clean water. This is, in fact, another part of the pastor's redress. Decades ago, Black farmers owned millions of acres of land in the South, but they were driven off that land and forced into urban centers. We could not buy homes, but our mothers and fathers, our four parents, they sold chicken dinners and sweet potato pies, and they bought church buildings. Uh, We want to make sure that we maintain these buildings. We want to make sure that we help lay the infrastructure for EV charging and solar. Uh, in these urban environments, and we want to make sure that our members and friends who do own homes and property, that they also go solar. We want to, to really be empowered so that we understand our responsibility to be stewards. Pastor Carroll also hopes to send the message that people are mighty and that we have the capacity for greatness if we choose to see it. It is to have that, that intention and to really, you know, play your part and, and trust in whatever is larger than you. And so Green the Church is always an invitation to grow, to dialogue, to open up, uh, and to move towards what Martin King and others call the beloved community, where all human beings come together for the sake of all sentient beings on this planet. Okay, listeners, so what does all this have to do with your green job search? The thing is, spirituality, faith, religion, believing in a cause like environmentalism, these are all deeply personal and individual experiences. Faith, religion, helps us answer the big questions, right? The spirituality that resides in the heart and not just in the head. This is Dan Misla of the Catholic Climate Covenant again. That's a different starting point than a scientific starting point um, that would say, we're putting too much greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and the planet's gonna heat up and it's gonna be really too bad for everybody. Whereas I would come at that and say, oh, I'm culpable. You know, I'm responsible for that as a Christian, as a Catholic that My faith tells me I have a responsibility to care for this creation. And here's why this heart versus head motivation is so important. Religious communities have the capacity to massively move the needle forward on the climate crisis. One well-known climate activist recently told Inside Climate News that faith and spiritual leaders around the globe may be our best shot at, quote, getting a hold on things. He said we'd need climate leadership in that sector to speak to people's hearts on this issue. Moshe Kornfeld of Colorado Jewish Climate Action agrees. Faith communities have sort of a built-in organizing platform. They have congregations. They have networks of congregations. They're there sitting to be ready to be organized and energized. He also says a church, synagogue, temple, mosque, any house of worship is more than brick and mortar. It is a symbolic building designed in a certain way to express its values to its congregants and to the broader community. My hypothesis is that it can have a powerful impact on, you know, uh, not only its own community, but in the wider community. Maybe you're a faith leader yourself, or you work at a religious institution, or maybe you're just a regular congregant with some ideas to share. You can inspire change there. You can ask your fellow congregants to embrace greener faith practices, like what Green Ramadan founder Corey Majid did. 
we have forgotten how to live in harmony with the rest of creation. So in Islam, there is Allah and Allah created creation. She saw something at her mosque that didn't align with her religious and environmental beliefs. She decided to make a change, starting small in her own family, creating a zero-trash iftar kit. That includes reusable, sustainably made items like a water bottle, cloth napkin, and utensils. That way, her family wouldn't produce waste from the meal they ate at their mosque after fasting all day. And it became our Ramadan tradition. And through that, we started having discussions in our community, people asking me, you know, why are you doing that? And these were important discussions that needed to be had. That family Ramadan tradition grew into a big passion project for Corey, encouraging Muslims around the world to adopt more sustainable traditions. In the end, your green job search starts much closer to home. I like ending on that idea because it speaks to something essential we've been trying to get to with degrees, to help you find your place in climate work. Maybe spirituality will help you get there. But even if you aren't a religious or spiritual person, you clearly believe in a higher cause. And I hope today's episode inspired you in some way. I'm going to borrow some words from Pastor Carol now. Do what you can. That's it for this episode. Coming up next week, we'll speak with Bethany Jones, director of the Office of Energy Jobs at the Department of Energy, who says that there are a lot of green jobs right around the corner. We have $62 billion to invest in clean energy deployment, and that is across 72 different programs, 60 of which are completely new programs. We're really looking at how are those investments going to be made in a way that supports job growth in the U.S. and good quality jobs that people really want. Be sure to check out the rest of Season 6 of Degrees on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you're listening now. Share this podcast with a friend. And don't forget, check out our Green Jobs Hub. There you'll find all the resources you need to jumpstart your green career search. Degrees is presented by Environmental Defense Fund. Amy Morse is our producer. Podcast Allies is our production company. Stephanie Wolf produced this episode. Mia Lobel is our story editor. Io Oti is our researcher. Engineering by Matthew Simonson. Our music is Shame, Shame, Shame from Lake Street Dive, and I'm your host, Yesh Pavlik Slank. Stay fired up, y'all. Change is coming again.